How you doing? Um, I'm right. It's a little groggy, but my weekend was was busy, busy around the house. Just like I'm doing demo in a room, and I converted my wife's bike into an e-bike. What's an e-bike? Like electrical bike? Yeah. So you swap out one of the wheels with a a new wheel that has a motor in the hub, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know battery and controllers and brakes and all that kind of stuff. So, so you mount the battery battery pack. What do they look like? The big rectangular thing. And you mount it in, in the fr- inside of a frame? It mounts in the frame, like right where the water bottle holder usually goes. Mm-hmm. So they've got the system pretty well figured out. And then um, there's like a controller you got to find a place for uh, that does all the all the brains behind it. And then you've got like a little screen that you put on the handlebars so you can see how fast you're going and your mileage and what like what level of output you want to want to be using. And then like another, like a switch. So there's a bunch of little moving pieces and then you got to figure out what to do with all the wires and make it look good. And so you, you buy, you buy those off of like, I don't know, Amazon with the, it's like a whole kit, right? It comes with instructions and everything. Yeah. So the instructions suck, but they're fine. Uh, <laughs> the fine as, as is everything. The fine suck, like Ikea level suck or less? No, like worse, right? Because there's just stuff that's just wrong, right? Like it's not that they just omitted stuff. They, of course, omit stuff. But then there's stuff that's just wrong. And then they're like, you know, just if you want to see the wiring, go to our website and there and watch the video. And like there's no video. Like all the videos that they have on their website are by other people who have done e-bike conversions. They're not even by them. So, <laughs> Well, that's a great example of taking advantage of the community. Totally. Totally. Yeah. They just put the video, they just put embed the video that they think is the best at, at that time on their site. And then they just leave it at that. They never even go look for a better video later or anything. I'm trying to save some time, not recreate the resources that already exist, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They don't, it's not the architectural approach. Like architects, I feel like will just take on everything. You got to own it all. Oh, we have to own the font, like literally the color of the font that matters. So it's like, yeah, you can't use somebody else's thing. That just drove that just drove me nuts. For the few years that I did work in the architecture, it was just ridiculous. Like somebody's done this already. Yeah, I want I want different fun. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> but speaking of instructions, IKEA, I I gotta take back the IKEA comments because IKEA instructions are not that bad when you compare it to no, something not. like a Target instructions. Because I was putting together, oh, really? <laughs> I was putting together a crib from a from my baby girl and. Those target level <laughs> instructions are just horrible. They were really, really bad. And I don't know what it is. IKEA actually has this down. They, they do have it down. I never complain about IKEA. Hi there. I'm Evan Troxel. Welcome to my podcast about how technology is changing the architectural profession. Conrad Soban, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. And and so you're in Chicago. I thought you were in New York, but you're in Chicago, and I'm in Southern California. And here we are with uh, power of the internet holding us all together during this time. How you been doing? Uh, staying isolated. <laughs> staying isolated. <laughs> so yeah, you've got a new a newish baby. It's a six month old baby girl. We've had back in uh, back in December. And luckily for everyone, without even knowing it, escaped the. Uh, the epicenter of the of the COVID nineteen pandemic yes. out of New York, so we left in just in time. Yeah, just in time, January. So it wasn't really on anyone's uh, radar that we're escaping right. a you know a COVID laden city. But it was. Uh, Jeez, we were we were like my wife and I were actually talking about it right before we left. 
because uh, she was on, she was getting on the on the plane and I was uh, I was gonna drive because I had a bunch of books that I needed to haul over. <laughs> 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 um, she was gonna get on the plane and out of those two, which is a weird thing to say probably right now, it's like COVID. We, like she mentioned it, it was like this. There's this weird flu that's came over from China and everyone's talking about it, or at least little people, like a few people, are talking about it on the news. And then she was actually more worried about flu. And I was like, yeah, flu is gonna yeah. get us. Like. Kids probably like because my daughter was like five weeks old and we're like, there's like she doesn't have any like immunity to flu. She hasn't right. taken any of right. the shots that she's supposed to take yet, so we're worried about that. But everything worked out pretty well. Well, congrats on the the family there. That's awesome, and I'm glad everybody's healthy. That's good. My kids are uh, my youngest is 14, and then I have a 15 and a 16 and an 18. So. Uh, they're they're on the 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 trajectory out. <laughs> you, you never know with that one. <laughs> you don't. You I really a, don't. I had a big family growing up because I have four other siblings, and I will tell you, you don't know because my sister, my sister still with my parents. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. My brother is kind of like that. Kind, it's it's a weird story, but yeah. I mean, I know what you mean. You just never know. And and it's interesting. I heard a stat the other day. That was um, something like they're the highest percentage ever of people under thirty still li- living single and with their parents than ever before. So, uh, and that has nothing to do with COVID, right? Like, well, it has everything that's, to that's do a different with, thing. with school loans, right? School loans and yeah, changing mentality around marriage and dating and how all that happens. And I, there's a lot going into that, but it's uh, it's, it's well, interesting I mean, for sure. Not not to be cynical about that. Uh, and I want to rain on my sister for still living with my parents, but I did after I graduated move back to my parents, and this had, this had one hundred percent everything to do with the fact that schools are just so freaking expensive. Um, yeah, I finances, took on yeah. I took on a bunch of loans coming out of the architectural school, and mm-hmm. literally had no clue what I was getting myself in terms of uh, you know your potential for income is coming out of as a, as you know as a level one joining an architectural company here in the city. And I was actually living back. I was living in Chicago. Uh, I went to school over mm-hmm. here in Chicago as well. So, um, yeah, I had no clue. I came out and I had about, I it was like $80,000 plus in school loans. And only because I was actually trying to pay as much as I could while I was at school and I was working throughout. So it wasn't that bad. My friends had, you know, 150 and upwards of school loans. So that wow. hit you. And, you know, I wasn't, being an immigrant, first-generation immigrant, I, I got to U.S. when I was 17. My parents didn't know any better, so there was nobody really in the household that was, that was going to be able to tell me what I'm getting myself into. Um, and I was the I was the first one going through college in my family, within my siblings. So I was kind of trailblazing the, tra- the, the higher education trail. You figured it all out. Uh, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't the best <laughs> thing that I've done to myself, but there was a few things that I learned from it. Yeah. Private loans in U.S. are uh, are a thing, and you oh, wow. definitely want to stay away from those if you can. So that's why I tell my sister. And that's probably the reason why she's she's been living with my parents for so long because she actually took the different route, which was pay for the school as you go, as opposed to what I did: finish as soon as you can, take up take on the loans. Um, yeah. So there's a couple of different ways of going about this, but. So where'd you go to school? I studied architecture at IIT in Chicago. Okay, cool. I I want I asked because um, 
I had Randy Deutsch on the podcast earlier too, and he teaches at the Champaign Urbana yeah. uh, school there. So there's two schools that are both under IIT, correct? No, no, no. So the, he teaches at Urbana Champaign. That's U of I, University of Illinois. Uh, oh, okay. It's a different, gotcha. different school. There's another one. There's, got, there's actually a couple of schools in the city that was contemplating or not contemplating. It's, it's a weird thing that I even ended up at IIT. Like, I mean, to tell you the story, when I graduated from high school, I went to a local, uh, local college, uh, Northeastern, I think it was called, taking my general education classes. I had no clue, like literally had no clue what, like how colleges work here. Colleges in Poland work totally different. Like, I might have a better idea how that worked back in Poland. I had no idea what I was doing over here. So I went to uh, I went to college and I, I figured um, um, this is it. This is what you do. You go to college, right? I had no idea that there's like private colleges, public colleges, state colleges, city colleges. I mean, this, the spectrum is just so big. And I was bored out of my mind over there. And one of my teachers pulled me aside. And I appreciate my teacher. I probably appreciate her for the rest of my life because she did me a huge favor. She pulled me aside one day into her office and she she went, like, Conrad, you're bored out of your mind. What do you want to do in life? And I, at the time, stupid me at age, I don't know. I, I don't know if I was that stupid. Per se in architecture <laughs> in the retrospect. Um, this is the cynic. This is the cynic <laughs> it worked. It worked out for me. But if if I had to do this again, I don't know if I'd go for it again. But stupid me said I was working construction at the time because that's like being Polish in in Chicago. When you come in here, that's like one of the jobs that you're gonna get because most of the people people that I know work construction. So I was working construction, and. She pulled me aside and she's like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to be an architect because <laughs> I was on construction sites all day, every day. So she's like, go to IIT. And that was it. That's how I, that's how I went to IIT. That was easy. I, wow. She basically filled out the paperwork for me. <laughs> that's, that's how it went. I, I was uh, in high school as well doing a lot of like architectural drafting courses. It was always my favorite thing to do. Um, and I did that f- for four years there. And when I applied to a bunch of different colleges and I, like you, not really knowing the difference between in-state, out-of-state, then there's, you know, state schools, community colleges, and I only got accepted to one. And so that made it easy, right? It was just like, it was the one right here. It was Cal Poly Pomona. And uh, turns out like that was perfect for me. It was a state school. It was very inexpensive. Um, pay as you go, like you're talking about. Walked out of there with no loans at all lived at home the whole time. And, and I think I just got kind of lucky. And unlike you, if I had the chance to do it all over again, I probably would. Because I, I really, it's funny, like the first two years were terrible, I felt like, but the, the last three were, were great. It finally clicked for me at some point there. And I really, really got into it. But um, the whole, you know, design school thing was perfect for me. And I went into school thinking it was going to be something so different than it actually was. I'm really glad it turned out to be what it was. And now, like our profession, I see how much our profession suffers because schools focus so much on design. But, you know, that's another topic for another day, most likely. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I probably had a completely different experience just because I was that first-generation immigrant. And, I mean, just mm-hmm. to just to give you an idea, you my parents didn't speak any English at all, right? So you go into, like, register mm-hmm. for, for high school, right? You go to the nearest high school in your district. And mm-hmm. people signing you up for that high school, it's, like, that one person that worked in the administrative office 
I will remember her forever too, because she yeah. she's the one that kind of that that took on the responsibility of you know being the the point of contact for all of those immigrant kids that that got funneled into yeah. the school system here in America, right? And I won't remember her for all the good reasons because she was pretty bad at her job. I'll tell you that much, right? Because <laughs> there was there was no explanation or guidance whatsoever of like how this whole system works. And some of these kids, right? You know, some of my colleagues coming out of Poland, if you cared about education, she wasn't the person to go to to kind of find out what do you need to do to to go ahead to get to a good school. Nobody ever told us about after-school programs. Nobody ever told us about, you know, AP classes, college-accredited classes. No one's never, never talked to any one of us about any of these things. Right. So then you kind of – that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, a, it's a bit of a miracle that any one of us comes out of that, you know, public school system and has been able to go to a college, get an education, and, and kind of, you know, not end up working construction, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. but not everyone wanted to do that. And I don't know, schools just, they should probably pay better attention to uh, to that because that one person really has a huge impact on a lot of people's lives. So I was kind of disappointed with that. Yeah, there's a lot of disconnection there for sure. Uh, I saw that even, you know, you were talking about those things. I, I wasn't exposed to those things either. And if your parents aren't that person, and then there's like no line of defense there. Right? Yeah. Because nobody even knows what to ask. Yeah, well, and they're not going to offer if they're if you're not asking, they're not offering. Yeah, yeah. Well, like we had, I mean, so there's, there's, you know, like these are public schools, so like the, the there was a cultural adjustment for all of us, anyways. The language was was an issue. Like I didn't speak much English at all either. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing that kind of put me on the right track was always sports. Like if there's anything that mm-hmm. that gets me going, uh, that gets me excited, has always been basketball. So. Okay. You know, I've never had I never had any trouble. I never thought that I had any trouble adjusting to living in America. It was because of the basketball. I just kind of picked up the ball and we lived across the we lived across the park. So I just pick up the ball and go play basketball. Didn't speak a lick of English, but it didn't matter. Like on the basketball court, it's it doesn't yeah. matter. So that was that was kind of like the place that that I went to, and so we had all the practices after school. We've had uh, we had conditioning camps and all that. So I kind of stayed busy and had a chance to interact with American kids and learn the language a little bit faster than and some of my colleagues, right? So that was the thing that kind of saved me and put me on the right path. But mm. everybody else then, you know, like not everyone played basketball. It was like two of us, two Polish kids on the uh, uh, on the basketball team. So that was it. It was tough. <laughs> <laughs> so, so speaking of the path, like you're on this path, right? Yeah. This you you said the right path even um i i wonder like what do you think about the path that you've chosen to take in this profession because uh it's funny i went to an au uh i don't know kind of a presentation kind of a round table thing last year um and it was with people who went into software development and they called it the dark side which i thought was hilarious right how how come you went to the dark side <laughs> and and so you know talking about your path and in architecture school and where this has all led you and now you're you're working with bim beats and bad monkeys and you've got your other stuff that you've been developing forever for revit so you know forever the last i don't know how many years but um in in architectural terms it coding terms it seems like a long time so how did you get on this path did you like you said you got out of college and you're gonna go work at an architecture firm like how did you eventually make it into tech I think it was always meant to be. So here's the reason I mentioned my uh, 
my college teacher that kind of put me on this path, the, the person that asked me the question, like, what do you want to do in life? And, and I answered architecture. And the reason this is funny and ironical for me is because if you asked me that same question a year ago when I was, or two years ago when I was still back in Poland, my answer would have been completely different just because my interests mm. were completely different. At the time, working construction, architecture was the center of my life. Like, this is what I was doing all the time. Before, the center of my life has always been computers. I mean, that was, that's what my mm. friends used to do. That's, that's who I knew. That's who I hang out with. And if I stayed in Poland, I probably would have gone into computer science. So mm. coming out of architectural school, yeah, I was a, I applied for design jobs. And it's, you know, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm probably one of these people who's like, by the time I realized that architecture wasn't what I hoped or thought it would be, it was too late. I was, I was too pragmatic to just drop out of my third year when I already put down like $150,000 towards my education. Like, You've got all those sunk costs, yeah. man. You got to stick I, it I knew out, about yeah. sunk costs before I even read about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was too late. <laughs> You're like, I've lived that. So yeah. I was going to finish. I wasn't going to stop halfway through and drop out. So I was going to finish that. I powered through. But all the way throughout, computers has always kind of been the thing that I did. And... IIT has been old school. Yeah. IIT, IIT teachers have taught us how to draft by hands. They, yeah. they prioritize design, sketching, you know, an artistic side of architecture more than they did technology side of architecture. And that, that has never, you know, it's been, it was a struggle for me throughout the years because I was, you know, I, was, I wanted to specialize. I wanted to work with computers. I, I took graphics courses, rendering courses, Revit courses even when I was at school. Anything that had anything to do with programming. Like I, I took programming for AutoCAD. <laughs> Nobody used yeah. AutoCAD at that time anymore, probably, because uh, the whole industry was transitioning through Revit at that time, and, and I was programming in CAD because nothing else was offered uh, at our school at the time. So this was always meant to happen, that I would go eventually into, into programming. But the thing, the thing really that kind of put me onto it was Mustafa. I guess that's the mm-hmm. that's the right answer. Mustafa is the co-founder and creator of the Ladybug Tools. He's yep. been my uh, he's been my first mentor. So Mustafa used to live in Chicago as well back in the days when he worked for Smithco, and I've heard about him from from one of the Grasshopper forums. And when I decided mm-hmm. that I wanted to you know pick up Grasshopper, pick up some visual programming tools, I started doing tutorials and learning on that kind of, you know, nights and weekends, the usual path for all the computational designers out there. Mustafa has been the, the person that kind of gave me tips and pointers, you know, tell me which language to learn. Python was the choice at the time. And, you know, like that was, ever since then, we've been pretty good friends. <laughs> Did he know he was your mentor at the time? Or was you, you just responding to por- forum posts or something? Um, I at the time when I was still in Chicago, before I moved to New York, like at the time when I was still in Chicago, I, I think he was just responding to forum posts and it was just, you know, a really good overall all-around guy just trying to be helpful yeah. and, and all that. Later on, we realized we have a common friend, um, a friend of mine that worked at Canon with me, was also a good friend of uh, Mustafa. So kind of the three of us, once we realized that, then kind of the relationship changed a little bit and we became a little mm. bit closer friends. And by the time I moved to New York, we're just, you know, regularly hanging out, talking about all these things, you know, having conversations of like, you know, open source and stuff as a big open source guy. So he was the one that gave me a, gave me a book that kind of changed the outlook on the open source for me that made it clear that we're not doing this for, for nothing. 
Mm. And you know what I mean by not doing this for nothing. It's it's more like so just because he was helping me off of forums, I, I I wanted to give back. Like I was always, I had my even when I was at school, I started a blog called Archilab. Um, so I've been yep. blogging for for a long long time. But I always felt that I wasn't sure if 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 what I'm doing with the blog is you know is is it like is it worth my time like is anyone actually reading mm-hmm. this because this was back in the days when like i was hosting this whole thing on my own server the wordpress wasn't uh wasn't even on my radar and i didn't really yeah. have any statistics or i didn't know what like who, is anyone reading this and mustafa kind of squared me up and gave me a book by i believe the name is uh adam grant maybe give and take and that kind of made everything click for me you know that made it. You know the, the basic message of the of the of the whole uh, of the whole book is there's three kinds of people: givers, takers, and matchers. And be a giver. That was really the message. And mm. ever since then, it kind of made sense. You know, writing the blog posts, posting stuff for free, opening up. You know, doing everything or as much as I could open source. It just changed the whole outlook on on the on the AC industry. So it's kind of started with, started with Mustafa uh, showing me how to do some coding and then uh, open sourcing it and why we open sourcing it, why we're trying to make it available for everyone. Yeah. It just all kind of started to make sense. And, and so, so it really truly sounds like it is the dark side. <laughs> A bunch of what givers. Is it, is, it, is it the dark? Well, <laughs> it's, it's only the dark side is because we trying to, yeah, like it, it is the dark side because we're a bunch of givers. We're the guys that just like throw this stuff up on the internet. It's like yeah. I've had these conversations with with some of the partners, the companies that I work at, where they kind of learned that we've been open sourcing all of these tools that I was working. Like when I was, like, I'm gonna name names. If I'm gonna name names. Uh, we're at Grimshaw, and I was writing all these uh, Dynamo packages and Gothopper packages and all that, and we're just throwing it out and open sourcing it and. The funny thing is, is like no one even knows that people within the company are doing these things. Like they don't know until right. until something something blows up, uh, or they find out from from somebody else that you know all of a sudden like you know people that work for you are engaged in these kind of things. <laughs> yeah. So yep. so they would find out that you know like that I've been working on open source packages and posting them up, and and all of a sudden companies want to take advantage of like the marketing value that that has all of a sudden, right? Yeah. So that's yeah. that's the only reason this is a dark side because. Uh, you know, it's it's not like it's it's all perfectly fine and and okay and hunky dory if you're working on on things on your own time nights and weekends, but the minute you're trying to give it out and there's no like, you know, direct benefit so to speak back t- towards the company, people all of a sudden get you know agitated and it's like wow why are you doing this this is wrong you're not supposed to share this our competitors might have this, and the thing that kind of like, like yep they're building it yeah too. yeah like that they think they get triggered. Uh, some of the people over there was, and the, you know, and I'm not raining on, on any on anyone in particular. It was, it's just that you know, like my friends and other places, other companies had similar experiences, where everyone kind of tries to keep it under wraps. You know, treat all of these tools as you know some sort of advantage over the competition. It just doesn't work that way. It's, it's never worked that way, and you're not going to be able to advance the industry as a well whole if you look at software this way i mean just locking things yeah. away in boxes and keeping it proprietary that's how right. big software companies worked for years and that's how uh innovation actually slows down yeah i mean that's that's what's held a lot of the profession back right is that kind of thinking which is is keep this to ourselves um and then 
if it's not available to anybody else, then they're just going to reinvent it and spin their wheels and start over. And and it, what's interesting to me about that is that companies back when you know AutoCAD came out, where they jumped on that. Now we want to make all we want to bring standards to all of our drawings. We're going to define how the layers work and what they look like, and you know the the different every company's got their own look. But but what that software also did was completely level the playing field. Now anybody could draw a drawing that looked really good. Well, but so, but even if it? you're not an architect, but, the question. Is, but did it? Because I understand that everyone jumped on AutoCAD, so everyone's using the same set of tools. But what you were just saying is, oh, everyone wanted to define their own standard. Everyone wanted to have, uh, you know, this this pretty drawing that they wanted to create. This is my company standard. This is my uh, set of line weights that we want to use. This is our style. And that's what kind of always irks me with the with the architectural industry as a whole is this this is still persisting this is still happening like in Revit every mm-hmm. company had their own styles every company has their own set of uh, you know the material libraries the uh, you know the content libraries everyone builds and rebuilds the same thing over and over again and this right. is completely opposite of what happens with you know give me let me give you an example automotive industry. I don't know if it's just a European Union standard or is it Germany in specific, but one of my friends works as a uh, as a programmer for the uh, one of the automotive companies in Germany, right? And what he tells me is that when they write code for for cars, uh, for software in cars, there is a industry wide standard. So software has to follow those standards, and every car has mm-hmm. a software written to that standard. Okay. So you basically have this that's playing field. That means that people that work on software at any company at any point in time can transition to a different company, pick up without any you know mm-hmm. company specific learning curve doesn't exist. It's basically industry standard. Uh, they can just go there, pick up, and start working right away. And the industry moves. Yeah. I mean, there is a little bit of a you know like obviously if you have to follow some standard to a T, and it's. We're talking about cars, so the, the regulations are in place for safety reasons and whatnot. But this this is how the architectural industry ought to be. At the end of the day, this will have made it so much easier for, for you know people that work at the city, re- reviewing the drawings, reviewing the codes. Um, if everything was standardized to some level, at the basic level, it's not. I'm not saying standardize the design. I'm saying standardize the delivery and and you know the mechanics of it. And that will have been so much easier for everyone to review, approve the whole thing. Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not saying that that AutoCAD did that for firms because you're right. Like it's everybody's got their own standards, and and that there is a learning curve every different place you go because they do it differently. But the the tool is the same, right? And it works the same way. And if I can draw a straight line on this layer and this this weight, then I'm I don't even have to have the skill of a senior architect anymore, right? Mm-hmm. I can. It's not about how you hold the pencil anymore. It's it, it's democratized beyond at the tool level, which I think is really kind of what nobody saw coming at that time. It's like, so now you have an architecture firm competing with a drafting service. And it's because architects aren't good at telling people what their value is, then it's all the same. It's just a set of plans, right? I can get a set of plans. Where's the cheapest set of plans? That's what I want. So now if we start to think about how like you're in the tool building business, right? And you are talking about like bringing, I don't know, are you, are you guys thinking about it from that standpoint of bringing a standardized way to look at data 
uh, we're talking about data visualization. We're talking about data capture. We're talking about data analytics on, uh, you know, specifically with BIM beats, for instance. But it's like, are you guys thinking of it in that way? Or are you thinking of it just as like a business or a service that you offer to now, this, this architects? Was, this was part of the part of the conversations and, and reasoning why we ended up building BIM beats the way we built BIM beats. Um, and the reason we picked actually something that is a bit of an industry standard or could be an industry standard. The reason we, we put this thing on, on, and this is probably something that I learned over the years, reinventing the wheel uh, while I was working in my previous company. But the reason we picked Elastic Stack and you know the technology that come with it is to actually stop reinventing the technologies of, of you know gathering the data, storing the data, and visualizing the data. There has been a number of different applications that do this, that have been developed uh, before that do this very, very well. Um, you can name a few, like for visualization, it's not just uh, what we've been using, which is Kibana, but you know Power BI, Tableau. If you can not reinvent the wheel on this one, then that's the that's the ultimate goal. And the reason you want to do that is because when you when you put something on a on a common platform, and by common platform I mean if if we're gonna use Power BI, for example, as the visualization engine for any of this data analytics, then you can all of a sudden share it with anyone else who's using the same common platform. The issue becomes that you know if the data is not in the same uh, format or schema, then that's when you get that's when you get in trouble. But obviously, if everyone's on the BIM beats, then everyone has the same schema, then everyone can reuse the same visualizations. And we want to obviously publish up all of our visualizations and analytics that we're doing uh, in some sort of uh, free and accessible marketplace. And if companies, because we do know that any company that will eventually consider getting on this and sharing any of the of the resources or things that they've built, um, they probably want to charge money. So that's why we call it, we, you know, I mentioned marketplace, not like a free community place or so. Because, you know, like just, you know, you can probably talk to, you probably did speak to Ian and Hypar. There's a reason why they're building uh, mm-hmm. Hypar the way they're building is for other people to be able to share their uh, definitions of the buildings or parts right. of the building. Uh, so it's basically designed as a service kind of uh, idea. Mm-hmm. So we would have, you know, Data visualization as a service kind of thing. So if you think of if you think of uh, a marketplace where you can, you know, get a dashboard for for your data and you just hook into it and it just works, that's kind of where we where we heading with this. So yeah, standardization is or has been a thing thing that I've been that I've been talking about with with Adam when we were putting this thing together. So so it sounds like you know a lot of the decisions that you guys have made are around not only standardization, but ability to scale that, right? Because if you really want it to be a platform that lots and lots of people use, then it's got to be able to handle lots and lots of queries and data, right? Lots of storage. Yeah. yeah and that, that's, you know, that's part of the reason why, you know, another reason scalability would be uh, why we chose this platform as opposed to other platforms or building our own platform, which everyone likes to do these days. Um, and, you know, this is probably a bit of that open source community and thing that I learned working with with the uh, working within the programming, uh, working with tools and building tools. Is that you know there's other people's inventions, other people's tools that they've built that you want to just reuse. There's no reason to reinvent the wheel over and over again. And right. this is one of those things the architectural industry as a whole and just in general just lacks that attitude towards 
towards their tools. You know, every project is, is you know, is starting from scratch. Every design is a new design, yep. um, as if there was a, you know, 1,000 different ways of designing the bathroom to be compliant with the ADA. There isn't, you know, and if, <laughs> and, you know, you can open the, the graphic standards book and just pick one of the ones that is already there. Why, why do we have, uh, you know, people at, you know, large offices redesigning those things over and over again? So this this is really mm-hmm. this is literally the thinking behind uh, you know open source community as a programmer that's how you kind of get to work so that's what kind of differentiates I don't know if that's why we on the dark side but that's what differentiates people that that can't think <laughs> it that yeah. way it's like it's okay it's okay to use other people's work it's okay to build on top of other people's work um, it doesn't make you less of an architect if you borrow somebody else's bathroom layout you're still perfectly capable architect. Focus on the things that, you know, that do make a difference. And that's, you know, you take as much as you can to build a platform and then you build on top of that your things. You advance the industry this way, Uh, not by reinventing the wheel over and over again. Going back to what we were talking about before the show really started was, you know, why, why, and I think what you just said kind of plays into this is why even do this? Why even look at the data and why visualize it? Why collect it? Like, what are we trying to understand about ourselves so that we can build upon that and do something interesting or important with it? Like, what's the point of doing all that? And why have you guys gone this route with Bimbeats? Well, everyone's probably going to have a different reason why they want to do certain things the way they want to do. But I have a feeling that architectural industries, you know, architectural companies as a whole, the reason why they're looking at the data and the reason why they're trying to trying to data analytics on top of, you know, Revit models, for example, is to be able to, uh, and this goes back to the comment that you've made before, which is we don't know how to value ourselves. And there hasn't been a whole lot. I don't know if I might be off on this, but uh, over the years, there hasn't been a whole lot of value generation within the architectural industry. Like we've, our value to the industry as a whole was always like we provide design services and that's what we charge. And we usually, companies usually charge hourly rates or of some sort. And it's a, it's a, it's a tough business model to live by. And it's a really easy one to die by, especially in during times like this, mm-hmm. when there is an economic downturn. So some of the companies, you can make an argument, they're looking at things from two points of view. A, how do we get more efficient, better at the things that we do? So trying to improve the process mm-hmm. that we have. And this is probably a lesser reason to be doing this. Um, you're just basically trying to get better at what you already do. You know, squeeze out a few extra dollars. So, you know, being able to analyze your, your processes, being able to see where the deficiencies exist, when the process can improve, uh, you can probably, you know, squeeze that a little bit more. And two is a much in my opinion, would be a much better reason to be looking at this is to actually see opportunities or take back some of the things that we've we give up that we gave up as architectural uh, companies. Some of the things that companies no longer want to do, as an example for it, I think companies no longer want to get into like uh, part of the process that deals with validating the data, like being able to hand over a model and uh, stand by that model. Most of the time, architects have some sort of language written mm-hmm. into their contracts that the models are assets. They, you know, they don't contain all the information that they're supposed to contain. Use it on your own, on your own volition. If you have some sort of tools, analytics built on top of the models, on top of the work that you're doing, then you can, with some certain you know, 
degree of certainty say that this work has been done. It does exist in our models. Our models are to a center, uh, certain standard. The information you're supposed to be contained in them does exist. Or you can even take on new extra work that you haven't been doing, like architectural companies outsource things like code reviews. If you can, if you can review your models using some sort of automation tools, you know, tools that exist out there, like a popular one is what's it called, CodeUp. Upcodes. Upcodes. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. If you can start doing these things in-house on your own, then all of a sudden you're not outsourcing it, so you you take on bigger chunks of the project. And we used to, as an as an architect, historically, we used to be the designers, the builders. We used to do the whole thing. And only I don't know if it's you know the progress of time. We started to be scared of uh, owning that responsibility. You know, yeah. being able to deliver the whole the whole spectrum of services. We no longer do that. So if you're doing some sort of down analytics on top of your your tools and processes, and it allows you to take on a little bit more responsibility in those terms, then yeah, that's probably a better reason to do that than and try to squeeze out the last dollar out of, out of the people that work for you. Yeah, one of the big reasons that we're doing it is because um, you hit it right on the head. It's like know thyself, right? Know what the hell's going on under the hood so that you can make decisions to make it better. Because if you're just going through the motions and everybody's applying a different set of standards and you can never actually understand what is being applied or done in the models by v- lots and lots of different people over different offices and different groups... Uh, then how are you ever going to get better or decide the way that you want to do it so that multiple people can jump in and out of projects and pick up where somebody else left off? That's really hard if you don't have kind of some of these these tools in place so that you can understand the current landscape and then you can come up with a plan on how to get to the next place. And so for us, it's really about looking for opportunities to invest in our people, to train them where we need it the most. Because I think a lot of other firms out there, a lot of firms in general, don't look at training as an investment in their people or their projects. And they do expect it to happen on nights and weekends, kind of like what you were talking about when you were <laughs> learning visual programming, right? It's just like, that's just, people do that, right? We hope. Um, and and honestly, like we want our people to get that at the office so that it's value added to their work and their profession and their career. And that will directly impact projects. You also want to know about people spending their nights and weekends in the office for a couple of different reasons. A, if you are running the company and you basically hire a bunch of salaried people, then their timesheets usually say 40 hours a week. And that's about it. Uh, You don't really get much more information from from that so the financial it's pretty fictional people, yeah yeah it's pretty fictional like I, I used to you know for the few years that i worked at hrk or grimshaw if you're getting the same amount of money paid every week it doesn't really matter whether you worked 80 hours and you submit that on your timesheet or not no one really right. cares and no one really wants to remember to do their timesheets properly so the thing that i'm trying to get at is us you know even though we would so people, when they when when they bid, like you were saying, like we always constantly undervalue ourselves as an industry, as you know. So when you're bidding out for projects and you're looking back at the historical data, they're usually looking at the financial data, and which is and, fictional. Which is fictional. So you're kind of making yeah. decisions on, based on, on fictional data, and you know that kind of perpetuates the issue that people have, which is now you've you've signed up for a project that's going to take X amount of time, and this is X amount of money that we're going to make off of it. 
and people have to work you know nights and weekends and right. you want to know and if you're not measuring how much work people are actually doing and when that work is happening um, then you're not going to be able to to a identify people that are uh, maybe burning out they might be working on, on weekends maybe if they're working on weekends and there isn't really a project that they're chugging on maybe that's the person that's learning uh some programming you kind of want to know about them too you want to you want to be able to intercept them before they leave the company because that is usually the most the next logical step there's a probably a connection between people spending a bunch of time on nights and weekends learning a new skill and then leaving the company. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Because you know, it's like I've been there, I've done that. It's uh, you know, it's it's frustrating. You kind of you 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 really do want to get ahead of these people. And people in general are usually non-confrontational. Like I might be in, I might be an exception in that spectrum because um, I don't have a problem <laughs> going up to my manager and be like, I want to raise or something. Most of the people don't. They will they will gladly go along and they will take the raises and and you know the improvements and working conditions that they can that they get uh, voluntarily from the employers. Yeah. But that's probably not the right way to go because people do get frustrated and even though they don't say anything, they do get frustrated and, and yeah. Um, you want to get ahead of them. You want to be able to see what they're actually doing, what interests them, what they're pursuing in their free time, if such is in the office to get ahead of them, to offer them better learning opportunities. And if you can do that, then you're going to be able to retain them because there yeah. is a culture of people just quitting after two years or, you know, like, right. it, this is, you know, I probably can't fight that because there's something to it uh, that's generational. It used to be that people worked at a single company for their whole life. That's no longer a thing to do. People want to get right. different experiences, learn different things. And like I was saying, this is pretty much the only way to uh, get a nice kick in the butt in terms of getting a better salary. Uh, so people do quit for that reason a lot. Uh, so sure. I've lost a few colleagues that I was very fond of due to these yeah. circumstances. So Yeah, there's a different set of values out there. I think, uh, like you said, it's a different. you want to get different experiences that maybe a firm that you're at doesn't offer and you're ready to put those on your resume. Uh, it could be a project, right? It could be like you're curating your own portfolio of projects that you've worked on, and the more exciting project is down the street, right? So that definitely happens. And I think, you know, giving people reasons to stay, like you're saying, getting out ahead of that and finding out what they're interested in is kind of a lost art in business in general, um, in totally generalizing here, but like people don't really take the time to get to know their people very well. And when you don't know your people, you don't know what they're interested in. And they are all, you know, quote unquote, the same. And so you don't find out like what's driving Conrad and what's driving Evan to want to take their career to the next level. It's more like don't ask, don't tell, right? It's like (laughs) very much. If no one's literally complaining, then everything must be fine. (laughs) If no one's raising their hand and making hell of of the work environment, then everything's fine. A few weeks ago for the... uh, uh, what was the your desk university? Right. There was a conversation between uh, Ian Mustafa and I, and yep. I, we had a little disagreement. And me being me, uh, which is always disagreeing with, you know, always arguing the opposite point. I was saying that maybe it's not such a hot thing to be working from home. And this is to your point. Like, how do you get to know the other person? Yeah. There's such a huge loss of, uh, you know, not having that face-to-face interaction when you know not having those offhand conversations about you know your family the the hobby project and things that you've done or you know things that you uh you've been through as a person like you don't get to know 
like people don't say these things on you know over the internet like no right. <laughs> no one like you don't get like you find out about these things you know by by interacting with people probably not the best place but like late nights and weekends when you do work and that's when like friendships uh get forged so to speak right but that's how you get to know people and that's what kind of makes uh coming to work fun and, and meaningful it's really hard doing that remote and that's one of my biggest fears especially with like the emerging professional crowd is who who do suck up so much knowledge through osmosis of just being around and overhearing stuff and now there's nothing to overhear except for you know outside sources like podcasts and YouTube and all this stuff. It's not necessarily how their coworkers would do it or how they would handle a difficult client or how they would handle a contract or, you know, this is all architectural stuff and it goes way beyond that. It goes into the personal stuff and that's just not going to happen, right? If you're not in the office without your headphones in, then that gets a lot harder. Um, So there's already, it was already really difficult. It was difficult because people didn't ask, they're busy, they didn't have time, and you had your headphones in, right? And, and now, you're not even in the same room. So, how much harder did it just get? It got way harder. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Um, so, that's that's why, that's you know, that's one of the things that I miss about being able to go to the office and working from home is, you know, I've been doing this for like almost two years now, working from home mm-hmm. mostly. So, it gets to be annoying, uh, especially when you try to do what I uh, what I do, which is you know, write software. When you do kind of the headphones thing, it, it serves double purpose. You kind of, uh, I sometimes I will put the headphones on and and literally not even listen to anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> not even yeah. have my because because they do serve a purpose of is someone's like don't don't bother me. It's uh, a visual sign cue, on my yeah. back. <laughs> totally. Um, the point was really that just trying to get into uh, you know what people call flow and yeah. and especially when you're programming and. Uh, it's a it's a bit of a weird thing, but you do have to keep in mind you kind of juggle in your memory a couple of different variables at any point in time, and a little plan of what you type in out for the next few lines of code that you type in. So it you know any interaction that I have, and you know my wife will come over and and ask me a question, just like a random question, and I just lose all that. It'll be um, gone. Yeah, it, totally. It's gone for the next fifteen twenty minutes before I kind of figure yeah. out what I was doing again. So <laughs> right. So headphones, headphones uh, do help with that sometimes, and then yeah, the office. I really actually I liked it. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed going to to work. There's something about just you know changes your state of mind, in my opinion. Of of you know being home for me has always been about you know I'm home. I'm kind of I can kind of relax. Right. I don't want to work. This kind of changes my. I don't even have to like consciously change my mood of how I feel about. Uh, what I'm doing, I'm at home. I'm supposed to just yep. like, but when I'm at work, it's like it's work. Like I know I have to do work now, yeah. and my whole mindset just changes. Um, so I definitely do miss that. Yeah, for me, that drive was the transition point, right? That that could happen, where you could switch from one mode to the other. And now there's like ten feet, right? And that where that same switch needs to happen instead of twenty minutes, and that is. So hard. That has definitely been the hardest part for me is just like switching modes. Well, but so I don't miss the drive. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> like, I will, I'm not going to tell you how much I appreciate the extra an hour or two every day for that sure. you don't miss by, by driving out to work. So it's a, you know, it's a give and take. 
yep. you lose some, you you get some with this work from home thing. Yeah, I do miss my I do miss driving, but that's for a whole complete set of different reasons. Uh, yeah, in New York, we I had to sell my car moving out to New York, so not having a car for six years when I was in New York. I do like to drive now for some reason, even though Chicago traffic is horrible, but I do enjoy it nowadays. I, I love a road trip. Like I, I really found myself longing for a road trip just because I don't, I don't mind long road trips. I feel like you settle in, you get all the scenery. And to me that that's huge, right? That feeds me visually, like, and, and emotionally, like a, it's a complete removal from the normal. And that's a, that's a big necessity in my life to be able to have that i can do long road trips not in u.s the landscape in u.s is like freaking cornfields everywhere <laughs> it's like you're driving through a cornfield for like 10 hours you come to california <laughs> maybe, yeah, we have mountains maybe, maybe in california there, there's better so i used to uh when i was in when i was in college i used to drive uh, over the summer just to pay for school i used to drive a truck like long haul uh-huh. uh trucking so I, i've been around the states a little bit uh, on the road, so to speak, it was the worst experience ever. <laughs> I mean, if there's a job I won't recommend to anyone. Long, straight, flat roads. Yeah, no, don't no, don't drive for 16 hours a day. It's just it's just bad, and you know, <laughs> totally unhealthy too. I used to uh, I used to drink a lot of Red Bulls and smoke a lot oh, of cigarettes. Man. So yeah, wow. don't don't recommend that at all. I don't know, maybe someplace else <laughs> the landscape gets a little better. Something about the roads here. The biggest thing about the drive that I miss, and it wasn't even a long drive, like I said, it was like 20 minutes, maybe less. It, it's just the chance to listen to something. And like I don't, I can't really listen to things while I work. There, I maybe will turn music on, but I'm usually on a call anyway, so I can't. So I guess that leads me into like, what do, what do you listen to? What are you reading? What influences you? Um, tell us what gets Conrad ticking. Um, in terms of listening, uh, there's I can't really put my headphones on nowadays because the baby's at home. So anytime baby starts crying, I gotta be ready. <laughs> so I don't put headphones on anymore. Um, so listening has been a little restricted. When I do go out, when I go out for like bike rides or, or anything like that, so when I do have that hour or two of alone time and I put my headphones on, I find myself listening to one of two things: a) it's either podcasts or b) it's uh, it's uh, Polish music. Polish hip hop. Uh, so me being a basketball fan, something about hip hop and basketball, they kind of interconnected, intertwined, those two things come together. So growing up playing basketball a lot, I also kind of got into the hip hop culture. So I listen to a lot of Polish hip hop. The reason I listen to Polish hip hop, this is a, this is a weird thing. So being an immigrant in America, you kind of go through two phases of, of your life. The first phase is learning how to speak English. <laughs> uh-huh. And the second phase is Learning not to forget how to speak your own language. For me, it's Polish. So <laughs> when I first got here for the first, like, I don't know, 10 years maybe, I would read books in English exclusively just because I wanted to pick up the language, the vocabulary, you know, just, just learn as much as I could of it. And then I got to a point where I realized that my Polish vocabulary is dropping off significantly. And you find out because your family will tell you. My family in Poland, anytime we get on the phone or I visit, they will tell you that, you know, like you're throwing in some English words in here. That's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> you're disconnecting. Uh, <laughs> it's like, yeah, you forgot how to speak, how to speak Poland. Wow. So that's a, at that point, I started to pick out more and more Polish books. So I would, I would read the same things, but like the same, you know, 
like the topics that I'm interested in, I'll, I'll probably pick up the same books, but just in Polish, uh, not to lose that vocabulary. So that's why I listen to Polish music when, uh, when I write nowadays. And when it comes to podcasts, I've been listening to, I got into politics. I don't know if that's a good, is that something that you get into when you get older? Yes, totally. <laughs> so a friend of mine, when I was at Grim Show. By the way, I'm just totally offended that you asked me that question. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Um, I don't know. I was, I was never, I was never interested in that. And it's probably, that's another, that's probably another one of the things that kids should get into a little bit sooner. So I never voted until four years ago, the last election mm-hmm. cycle, and I was completely disappointed. But anyways, the only reason I did go out and vote was because a friend of mine kept getting me into talking about politics when I was at Grimshaw. Mm-hmm. And I really loved talking to him, and I, but I couldn't, you know, I couldn't really have an informed conversation about this without me being interested. So I started getting into listening to podcasts, you know, picked up a few occasional uh, you know, articles in magazines or whatnot. And I started kind of getting more and more into it. And I believe that I shouldn't be speaking out if I'm not voting. So, like, I shouldn't be talking about politics with anyone. I'm not allowed to have an opinion. It's kind of what I, like, a rule for myself. If you're not voting, then don't go talking yeah. to me about politics, right? So I, right. that's why I, for the first time in my life, I went out and I voted. <laughs> that's awesome. So, so, okay, so give us a recommendation for a podcast and for a Polish hip-hop artist. Oh, my goodness. I listened to the old... So here's the thing. I, I never, I'm always kind of putting myself back in time when I listen to Polish hip hop. So I always listen to to old school things that I used to listen when I was back in Poland. I don't know why I keep doing that. Well, nostalgia. I, yeah. I just re-listen to the old things. I never actually pick up new things. And Spotify is such a weird thing. It's because they don't, I don't know, they need to probably rework this. I haven't. Uh, Maybe they can hire you as a consultant here. There should be a checkbox in there somewhere that says, like, throw some new stuff in here randomly every now and then right. into my playlist. Because I just got a playlist that I listen to, and it's the same thing over and over. Um, they should they should totally toss something in. I I don't know if you, anyone's going to know any of that. but uh, Well, hey, okay, so is your is your playlist, can you make it public? Can you can you share the link to your playlist? Oh, no, I'm just reusing someone else's, uh, okay. someone else's playlist, so it's already public. Uh, right. We can totally share it on, on the link, but yeah, we can... We can uh, yeah. Let's do that. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, the artist name that like most recently I've been listening to a little bit more than usual is uh, Hada. Anyone who knows Polish hip hop would know it. So, <laughs> awesome. Um, and podcasts, it's it's a little bit of a mixed uh, bag of things. I will listen to all sorts of different things. Uh, I listen to Joe Rogan. I don't mm-hmm. know, uh, the Joe Rogan Experience. The reason I've listened to Joe Rogan is because I was I used to be into UFC. And Joe Rogan okay. was the, the he used to do interviews with the fighters after the fight, and I love the guy. And there's something about him. Uh, he's also a stand-up comedian, so I listen to I listen to uh, to his stand-up comedy shows too. So he's pretty he's pretty cool. He's pretty chill. And he got Elon Musk to smoke dope on the on yeah. the podcast. So <laughs> that was a good episode. That was a very good episode. I I can't listen to Elon Musk. There's something about him. It's just hard to listen to him. He's uh. Well, it's not nothing bad to say about the person, but it's just like hard to listen to uh to the very slow, you know, meticulous way of, um, you know, how he speaks. It just right. I like fall asleep. But he was a little bit better after he got a few hits of uh, whatever <laughs> he was smoking there. Um. So yeah, it's, it's Joe Rogan, and then if um I don't have a TV at home, that's another thing that not a lot of people probably know about me. I haven't had a TV for like seven or eight years now. Uh. So I don't watch TV 
so the news is not a thing. It's not like I always felt like it was a big waste of time. And in my home, when I was growing up, my parents always had that TV thing on with the news. Mm-hmm. I just kind of got tired of this, and I don't know. We just don't have TV. Uh, yeah. With the baby around, we kind of made a decision that we don't want to get her indoctrinated with the TV, iPads, and all that stuff yeah, as long as we can. So it's also a good good thing in that. But I will. So to get my news, I do have to kind of go outside of the. T- the standard TV route, and I usually listen to something called Visual Politics. Hmm. Uh, it's a series of it's it's not one channel on YouTube. It's actually a couple of different channels and a couple of different people doing kind of commentary on economics, on on politics, on socioeconomical situations all over the world. So kind of like news and uh, and politics mixed together, and they break it down nicely. The guy that I usually listen to, my favorite channel within that is Simon Whistler's. So if anyone's interested in that, visual politics, Simon Whistler, look him up. I will uh, find it and put it in the show notes. That's cool uh, recommendation. I'm going to have to check that out. A couple more questions for you here just to kind of wrap things up. So, you know, speaking about like these these things that you're listening to, the stuff that you're doing, you're out riding your bike, like what do, what do you do for help yourself perform better? Is it is it getting away? Is it disconnecting? Is there something that you do personally, like a personal hack? Um, analog, digital, doesn't matter. Uh, basketball. This is a this is this has been one thing, the one constant theme throughout my life that I've kind of all forms of basketball. Like I used to play computer games a lot, and I would play basketball, like basketball computer games. Um, then I stopped playing computer games altogether, but I would just religiously read blog posts and currently. I used to I used to have a team back in New York, uh, all Polish basketball team. Uh, so just you know, I know there was a bit of a requirement; they had to be Polish. We were not very good yeah. because Polish people are not very good at basketball, but we did try. <laughs> <laughs> so there's something about basketball that gets me going because it's just I don't know the competitiveness within it. Um, I get to blow off the steam. Like yeah, getting on the bike uh, is one thing, but it just doesn't do it for me. Like. In basketball, I'm allowed to to be mean. I'm allowed to you know throw an elbow, and it's okay. It's within the game. Uh, yeah. So I don't have time. I used to go boxing. There's, I guess, there's a bit of a mean streak within me that I have to get rid of. <laughs> so that's that's why. So basketball, I used to do kickboxing uh, back in college. But yeah, yeah, I have to kind of have to kind of blow off the steam every now and then. It sounds like there's a passion there too, though, right? It's not just about blowing off steam. Oh no, basketball has been. It's been a thing since I was a little kid, so it was it was fun and it kind of got me through a lot of. Um, I totally recommend it to kids growing up, you know, learning about playing team sports and yeah, it totally got me in touch with with the right people, with the right crowd, and kept me out of trouble for uh, for most of my life. So yeah, I totally recommend yeah, it. Yeah, that's cool. I so I go mountain bike riding, which I is a very different from like just cycling down down streets and stuff because I feel like I've got to be there or else I'm gonna like fall off something and hurt myself so for me it's like a form of it's almost meditative in that way where you just have to be present right because if you're not something's going to happen and i i would you know basketball is not too different from that you've got to be in the game like you talked about being the zone when you're coding like you've got to get in that flow state right i mean that's this kind of athletic output is is a lot like that depending on you know what you want to try to get out of it as a person so some people that is going to be running 
right? But other people, you've got to be like actively, you know, strategizing and, you know, like, like basketball is very much like that. There's a, there's a huge team strategy going on and uh, it does rely on different individual talents, but at the same time, you've got to work together as a unit. So there's got to be like a flow state that everybody kind of achieves at the same time. Yeah. It's, it's very, very hard, especially if you don't play with the same people on a regular basis. Everyone has their, the weird thing about basketball is as individuals, everyone has their, has their favorite things that they like to do, the favorite spot that they like to shoot mm-hmm. from, the, the favorite way of catching the ball. And, you know, so if, if you're running, you know, if you're a point guard, I'm a tall guy, so I'm probably more susceptible to that because someone has to actually throw me the ball every now and then for me to be in position to score. But there's, you know, like everyone has their own, indiv- there's a lot of individual individualism within the within the sport. And then the whole thing has to function as a, as a unit. Like when we had a basketball team back in New York, I was pretty much probably like the suckiest guy on the team. And there is no, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I would get like one or two shots every game. And I was perfectly happy with that. And I was perfectly happy just running around and setting screens and getting the rebounds and playing defense. That was, that was, that was my contribution (laughs) to the team. And, you know, and it was it, it was it. I loved it. It And, you know, seeing other people being able to score, it's it's like, it's no different than, than me putting out a video tutorial or something and seeing other people put it to good use at, at other companies and whatnot. And I'm, I'm excited about these things. Yeah, spoiler alert, there's always a suckiest person on team, right? Like, <laughs> the only way to get better is by doing. Well, there was the, the team had 10 people, so I was the suckiest person on the starting five. <laughs> <laughs> so not the suckiest person on the team, I would take. <laughs> top, top tier suckiest. <laughs> Yeah, cool. yeah. Well, okay. So I, that I think you know, we've learned a lot about you today. You're a you you truck driver, no TV, basketball, Polish hip hop, so many things that nobody knew. This is awesome. I, I hope that we can continue this conversation sometime, and I uh, hope that you come back and we can do it again. Yeah, that would be awesome. If you uh, just let me know, I'll be happy to do it again. Awesome. So, where can everybody find out more about you guys and what you're doing? Where can they follow along with what you're doing online? Well, we do have a website. Uh, if you're asking about Bed Monkeys, Bimbeats, so bedmonkeys.net, bimbeats.com. Um, I do have a personal blog at archie-lab.net. People usually <laughs> people usually say it archie-lab.net, whatever. Yep. Uh, yep. I always thought it was an architectural lab, so yeah. Archie Lab. <laughs> so, so on my other podcast, Archie Speak, yeah, when people say Archie Speak, it drives me crazy. <laughs> it drives me nuts. But so it's Archie Lab. <laughs> that's where I uh, that's where I keep the blog, so you can people can find me there and uh, Twitter, obviously. Um, I'm not as active as I used to, but life moves on. The little one takes up a lot of my time, so. Apologies to all those people that have been following me on Twitter and, and, and my blog that I've been kind of slow with that. But yeah, it's shifting rough. priorities, man. It's cool. No need to apologize for that, for sure. Well, thanks so much for spending time with us today. It's been great talking to you. All right. Thank you. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. You can see all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. You can help support what I'm doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and help get the word out and, of course, share it with your friends. 
I'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at trxl.co slash podcast, where you can find every episode. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. Just search for E. Troxel. Talk to you soon.